Good morning, Lake Church. Good morning. Hallelujah. Well, God is good. Do we believe that? Yes. Amen. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 34. <clears throat> and we're going to look at uh, verse number 8. It's what we just sang about. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Amen? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Praise God. So taste has to do with experience and see has to do with perception. Now, when it comes to our physical eating, as we shared with you a few weeks back, when it comes to our physical eating, we'd like to see before we taste. No one bites into something without first investigating it with their eyes. Okay? But spiritual things cannot be done this way. Many times we try to partake of spiritual things, and we try to partake on the way we partake of natural things where we see and then taste. Well, show me and I'll do it. You know, show me a sign and I'll, I'll do this. So we want our perception to be fulfilled before we get into the experience. But the things of God require us first to partake of by faith and then we're able to operate at a higher level of perception. Amen? And it's like that with our salvation experience. How many realize that uh, when someone tried to explain salvation to you when you were lost and they were lost, there was just absolutely no way you were getting any kind of information that was helpful to you at all. And it's the same with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, I remember people trying to help me get through, you know, some of the obstacles I had coming from where I came from. And uh, it, was, it was difficult. It was very difficult. But when I received salvation, when I partook of it and tasted it, then I was able to see that the Lord is good. When I partook of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then it opened the door for me to be able to, part, uh, perception, my perception changed and now I, I can't live without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't want to live without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so it's important that we understand that spiritual things, we first have to taste and then we see. Amen? And so what I'm endeavoring to do is that we all say God is good. But are we experiencing his goodness? And many times we're not experiencing his goodness because we're not tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And so one of the main things that we have to understand is that one of the main ways that we begin to uh, perceive and know of his goodness is when we face tests and trials. I know we don't like tests and trials. I know that we don't like being challenged. I know that we don't like, you know, obstacles in our way. But God uses those obstacles. He uses those tests and trials that the enemy brings to our life. As we progress obediently through them, he begins to show us his goodness. 
And we need to stop seeing test and trial as a means of my life is over. I'll never get over this. This is, this is the same all the time. We need to start seeing it differently. Amen. We need to see test and trial as an opportunity to see God's goodness. Amen. Amen. And it's a place where we can taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Because when we get a hold of this and we actually allow Jesus to take us through a trial, there's no devil in hell that can take that away from us. There's absolutely no one that can talk us out of it. There's no one that can say, oh, well, that wasn't God that did that. You know that you know that you know that God got you through that situation and you will never be dissuaded otherwise because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Amen. And so many believers have, you know, theology without experience. And that's really what causes a lot of the problems is that we know things about God, but we're not personally experiencing them. And so it's important for us to realize that the standard of Jesus must be elevated in our lives and we must consistently strive for that standard. We don't need to make excuses for ourselves or excuses for our circumstances. We need to say, this is what the word says. I may not be experiencing this at this time, but I'm not going to blame God for my lack of experience. I'm not going to blame this or that. I'm going to look at myself. Amen? Because guess what? You know, it's not the devil that's your number one enemy. Right. It's who you saw in the mirror this morning. Amen. Amen? And so keeping you from experiencing God, the enemy certainly wants to do that, but it has to also to do with your own personal walk and the fact that you put limitations on your life and you put barriers on your life. Amen? And so when test and trial come... What are some of the questions that pop up? Why, God? How, God? And when, God? We begin to get in the big, the three, the WWW. You know, we get into, you know, the worldwide wine. You know, why, when, you know. And uh, so it's important that, um, you know, we realize that test and trial come to knock us off the basis that God is good. And that's the sole reason. The enemy attacks us to get us to question the goodness of the Lord. He did that to Adam and Eve. He said, hath God said? You know, he began to question the character of God. Well, there are many believers that are questioning the integrity and the character of God because they've went through tests and trial. And they'll throw, you know, everything out and say, you know what, I don't believe in that anymore. I don't want to go to church anymore. I don't want to read my Bible anymore. All because they had a disappointment or a discouragement in their life. And test and trial comes to do that. Test and trial comes for your faith in God and your faith that God is good. Amen. So let's turn to James real quickly, um, and let's see this process. James chapter 1. Are you awake out there? Amen. Amen. James chapter 1. 
And I'm going to read verse 17 because this is the end game. This is where we want to get, is where we believe this scripture. Amen? It says right here, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So here is the ultimate standard, that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. How many believe there's good things in heaven? How many believe that there's cancer in heaven? How many believe that there's poverty in heaven? How many believe that there is, you know, they're having, you know, divorce proceedings in heaven? You know, they're meeting in the courts and no, God is a hundred percent totally in control of heaven. Amen. And that means there's none of this. There's none of what we're experiencing upon this earth. What we're experiencing on this earth is not a result of our good God. It is a result of man allowing the devil to come in and bring his curse into the earth. See, he's trying to bring his curse into your life and through your life by you listening to him and believing what he says. And the more you believe what he says and begin to do what he wants you to do, the more you're going to see that curse begin to seep out of your life. But, oh, praise God, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And praise God, heaven can come through your life because Jesus has redeemed you and set you free. Amen? But every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. Every good gift. It doesn't say every bad gift. It says every good gift. Seems simple, but a lot of people will blame God for certain things in their life, and that's the ruse of the devil. The devil wants you to believe that what you're going through is the act of God because he wants to keep you in it. He wants to grind you down to powder and where you will not resist him in your life because you think that God is doing it. So people will say, well, I've got this situation and God is teaching me through this. He's teaching me through this sickness. Now that may very well be true that God is teaching you through something because God is a teacher always, but he's not using the sickness to teach you. What he's teaching you is the overcoming power within the trial. He's teaching you how to overcome the situation. Just because you're in the situation, God's not saying, well, I set this up so that I could show you this. No, he's already given us something to show us if we'll do the work, amen? And he's given us the Holy Spirit. The life of God is on the inside of you. The very resurrection life of God is on the inside of each and every one of you. And if it's properly appropriated through faith and released by the, you know, the confession of our mouth and belief, Praise God, it'll drive sickness and disease from your body. And I'm not just saying that to say that. I've experienced that in my life. Personally, I was on the deathbed three times and God raised me up. Why did he raise me up? He raised me up through his word and by his spirit. Amen. Did I learn things in what I went through? Absolutely, I learned things. I learned how to trust the Lord. I learned how to reach out to him. I learned how to make him my priority. 
But God didn't bring that to cause me to learn those things because those things were available to me before I got sick. <laughs> you know, majority of the time when I was going through what I was going through, I was thinking, I know that. What in the world was I thinking? What in the world is going on? Why, why didn't I get, why didn't I see that? Because it was there the whole time. It's just my eyes were fixated on what the enemy wanted me to fixate, and it wasn't on the right thing. Amen? But every good and perfect gift. Cancer's not a good gift. It's not a perfect gift. Poverty's not a good gift. Not a perfect gift. You see, if it's not in heaven, it's not in the kingdom. Amen? Come on, you're looking at me like a cow at a new gate. But it's true. It's the truth. That's the reason why Jesus had us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. And so praise God. I declare that he does his will in my earth because I'm made. I'm made out of earth. Amen. In my earth, the kingdom of God rules and reigns. I don't know about yours, but in my earth. Amen. And so people want to blame God. They want everything to be about God. So if they don't get the job, it's God's will. If they get the job, it's God's will. If they're not married, it's God's will. If they're, if they're not married, it's God's will. If they're single, it's God's will. Everything's about God's will, so to speak. Okay? And, and we, we have these phrases that we kind of use, and they're little religious catchphrases like, God is in control. And that just absolutely means that your life is in utter, total chaos, and uh, you're just giving up, and you're just saying, God's in control. The old song back in the day, Jesus, take the wheel. You know, God's in control. But we need to understand that, uh, you know, <clears throat> these phrases tend to shirk our personal responsibility to seek the face of God and to learn of his ways and to begin to do what he tells us to do. If it's all up to God, then how do you know when something's going to work and when it's not going to work? Amen? This phrase, God is in control, I believe inevitably our God is very much large and in charge. However, he has chosen to work within a system in which he cooperates with humanity and begins to work with humanity. God likes to work through things. And God gave dominion of the earth to man. So what's going on in our world today is not because God wills it. It's because there are other entities that are influencing man and using his dominion to bring darkness and despair and the curse upon the earth. God desires to bring heaven to earth. That's the whole story from Genesis to Revelation. And he does it in, you know, in segments and time. So he, he did it in the garden and it was lost. So he brings it back steadily and progressively through his covenant with Israel, through Jesus' ministry, and now through the new creation. He is steadily bringing forth and swallowing up 
this cursed situation with his power and his love. Amen? And it's important to understand that ultimately what God is going to do is he's going to bring heaven to earth. Amen? And when you got born again, heaven came to earth in your life. Amen? Heaven came to earth in your life. And so we can't blame God. We can't make him the enemy. Because if God is your enemy, you don't have anybody that can save you. You don't have anybody that can help you at all. If God's your problem, you don't have a solution. But people will do that, and they'll make excuses. They'll make excuses for their life, and they'll even create theology that causes uh, us to make excuses for why we're not experiencing what this word says we're to experience. And so they'll say, this passed away when the last apostle died. This, you know, no longer is applicable. This no longer works. And it's really just excuses. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That's what Jesus said. He said, my words aren't going to pass away. So Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 has not passed away. Psalm 103 has not passed away. Matthew 8, 17 has not passed away. 1 Peter 2, 24 has not passed away. Heaven and earth will pass away before those words will pass away. But yet we have theologians saying it's passed away. Well, God doesn't heal anymore. God doesn't deliver anymore. God doesn't do the miraculous signs and wonders anymore. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. If he did it and it's in this book, then he's still doing it. We need to stop making excuses. We need to stop, you know, getting ourselves off the hook. We need to stop, um, you know, just living mediocre walk with the Lord. I mean, my goodness gracious. It's on our side, guys. It's not on God's side. God's not withholding anything from you. God's done everything that he's ever going to do about your situation. Amen? So... If every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father and he doesn't change, then who needs to do the changing? Hello? We need to do it. That's the reason why repentance is a gift. Did you know repentance is a gift? The ability to change your mind and to get in line with God's uh, plan? That's a gift. Amen? How many have ever went down a road that you knew was absolutely the wrong road? And uh, praise God, repentance came to you and you was able to turn, <laughs> turn off of that. That's a gift. That's a gift. There's some people still walking down that road. Amen. They're still going down that road. Repentance, you know, hasn't dawned on them. Amen. But it's important that we understand that repentance is a gift. So this is how James gets us to verse number 17, because we have to understand context. Amen. And so let's drop a, go up to the second verse of this same chapter. And he makes this statement, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Okay, so he's telling us right there that tests and trials are going to come. Problems are going to happen. But he tells you to count it as joy. Now, how many accounted their trial this morning? as joy. Anybody? No, you aggravated. You were cussing. Come on now. You were fighting with your spouse. You were doing something. 
you weren't counted in all joy. Amen. Now, now Jorge says he counted it with all joy, and I believe him. Amen. He counted it with all joy. I don't know what it is. Don't want to know. But he counted it all joy. Amen. But most of the time, when tests and trial and tribulation come to us, the last thing we think about is joy. The absolute last thing we think about is joy. But he says, count it all joy. Well, how can I count it all joy when my life's falling apart? How can I count it all joy when the enemy is on my heels? How can I count it all joy when it looks like nothing is working right? Well, you have to have a revelation. So he says this, for you know, notice that, for you know that. So I go in with this information that when tests and trials come my way, that the testing of my faith produces steadfastness. And it says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking absolutely nothing. So he's saying here, you need to see test and trial and tribulation differently. You don't need to see it as the obstacle that is before you, but you need to see it as the opportunity for freedom after you've went through it. You need to see the end before the beginning. You need to praise God for the solution rather than focus on the problem. You need to be filled with joy that these things come in your life to make you stronger, to cause you to be able to stand in pressure and be able to having done all stand therefore, and that no one is going to be able to knock you off of what God has called you to do. And I'm here to tell you that you can uh, be knocked off of little things and you'll never get to the bigger things. You'll never get to the bigger things God wants you to do if you're knocked off of just little things. You know, I'm not going to do that anymore. That was too painful. That, you know, that, that was a hard time. I'm, I'm going to back off. I'm going to shrink back. No, we need to press in. We need to stay strong. We need to stay on the Word of God. We need to allow the perfect work to happen in our lives so that when tests and trial come into us in the future, we will be perfect. We will be complete. We will lack nothing. And that comes through tests and trial. That comes not through the test and trial because there's people that will have tests and trial and never learn anything. But through the test and trial, God will equip us and lead us through, causing us to become stronger and better in life. Amen? <clears throat> so, tests and trials are like God's weight room. How many like to go to the weight room? Nobody. You're looking at the weights. Oh, gosh. Why? Because I have to apply strength and resistance to break down something that by the breaking down of it causes it to build back up stronger. People don't like that. Hello, did you know being transformed from glory to glory in the Lord actually puts you in a position in which the old, the old portion of you are, you know, I'm, I'm using the words, you know, because we know that we're not dealing with two people here. But your flesh and it is put into subjection to where your present form is changed because the present form is broke down by the test and trial 
as you continue to exert strength against it. Because see, that's the thing. We don't, when tests and trial come, we don't just back up like a jellyfish and let it, you know, squash it. We resist it. We resist sickness. We resist poverty. We resist the attack of the enemy. And as we resist, our muscles are exerted. They're broken down, but then they build back up. And so God, if he wants to put a, a bigger um, assignment on your life, you're able to stand. God's able to put some stuff on you because you're able to handle the pressure that comes with the call. And there's people that don't, have, don't, don't know what pressure is. How can you believe God for millions of dollars to build a ministry when you can't even believe for $50 for your gas tank? Hello. See, you're going to have to learn that tests and trials are a gift. And that's what he's saying. It's a gift. The devil's handing you a gift to be able to show how big your God is. He's going to give you a contrast that's going to change your life. And the devil actually, you know, is stupid enough to put that stuff on you and try to make you look stupid and try to cause you to be fatigued, try to cause you to be broke down. But praise God, because you've been through trial after trial and you've seen the goodness of God faithfully every single time you can stand, you can overcome, you can move forward. Amen. It's not fun when you go through it, but you got to know something. This is a life hack. He's given you a life hack because test and trial break people down in the world. They break people down. They don't recover. They become victimized. And they would rather use their test and trial as a crutch or as a means of manipulation to get what they want out of life. There are some people that just absolutely are so proud to be sick in the Lord. It's just the truth. Well, I'm sick. The Lord's given me a cross to bear. Okay, well, you know what? The cross to bear is not sickness and disease. In fact, you don't have your own personal cross to bear. Did you know that? That's not what Jesus meant. Take up your cross and follow me. His cross is your cross. His cross is your cross. If you're going to bear the cross, you're going to bear his cross. What's his cross? The mission God gave him. He said, even as God sent me, I send you. The same cross he carried is the same cross you carry. Reconciling the world to the Father through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your cross, not your eczema. Hello, not some kind of pet disease or pet problem or anything like that. I'm here to tell you we need to shirk off this stuff and stop talking like religious idiots and realize God is good. And when I go through tests and trial, the way I go through tests and trial, regardless of whether I can understand it or not, God is good. God is good. God is good. When I get a report and it's not a good report, guess what? I have to shake myself. I have to say no matter what they say, no matter what's happening in my body, no matter, God is good. Because if you don't have that foundation in you, if you don't have that foundation, the enemy's going to knock you off and you're not going to be able to develop the strength that you need. Are you with me? Okay, all right. It's almost over, guys. 
Okay. How many would like to be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing? The way through that is using the Word of God in test and trial. The only way. How can you know how deep God is and how wide God is and how high God is if you never go through anything? Amen? If, if we were to go through here and we had a, a Terminator eye and it gave, you know, statistics and status of, of people's lives, you know, read them out, you know, six foot four, six, five foot eight, whatever, you know, and gave it. And, and we could have one that would give us the level in which we believe or the size God is in our life. It would vary from person to person. It would vary from person to person. Because there are areas of my life in which I've experienced God's goodness that I can, I, I just believe that he's good in that area. And there's other areas I struggle with. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. There's other areas that I struggle with that, you know, I haven't developed that trust as much as in one area. And it also varies culminatively, you know, as you take all of those scores or all of that spreadsheet and you put it into one, we all have varying degrees in which we believe God. Amen? How can I increase that? I increase it through experiential knowledge of his word going through tests and trial. When I apply this to my problem. Amen? God didn't send the problem, but he gave me the answer before the problem came. And I can either shut it down and not go to the weight room. Oh, come on. Or I can open it up and get to work. Amen? When I got thrown into the hospital, the first thing I said, Karen, bring my Bible. Bring my Bible. I didn't watch TV. I'll go to some places to visit people that are sick. You, you weren't able to do it for two years. Now they're letting, you're letting people in. And they'll be just watching Sally Jesse Raphael. I'll tell you how dated that is. You know, uh, what was that, Maury, you know? They're waiting on who's the father, you know? Um, that is not a place to be watching Maury Povich. That is not a place to be watching your favorite John Wayne Western. It's a place to connect with God and apply and get to work and get to work. Get into the word. Read the word. Allow God to talk to you through his word. What are you doing? You're, you're exercising your you can do that lying in a hospital bed. Amen? Or, you know, maybe you're too tired and can't read. We'll get something to listen to. Put it in your hearing. Amen? Put it in your hearing. Exercise yourself spiritually. The problem is, is that we want God, well, and he, you know, he, he's just going to do it because of this, you know. No. Listen, there's pressure on you and demonic opposition to what you're going through. 
It's not that God's not wanting to do what he does. He's already done it. He wants it so bad that he preemptively did it before you were even born. But you've got to put yourself in a position to be able to resist the onslaught of the enemy because those symptoms are going to come. Those reports are going to come. What are you going to do with them? If you don't have something to counter those, if you don't have information that's going to push against those and apply resistance to them, then you're going to find yourself losing the battle. Oh, it's not a time to stop worshiping. It's not a time. I've had people say, we're having marriage problems. We're going to be out of church for a month. Okay. Here, we need to get away. And No, you need more. <laughs> it's obvious church ain't went to your house. <laughs> you know, you need more of that, but people will think that. I've had people say, well, we don't come to Wednesday nights because it's family night. You know, and so they would be better off instead of learning about Jesus and his word, watching the Lion King together. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I wish I was joking about this stuff, okay? And family night is usually chaos, is what chaos night, you just might as well call it what it is. Because you call them on that Wednesday night and they're, you know, yelling at the kids and it just sounds like an absolute madhouse. No, listen, we need, to, we need to make the Word of God the first priority in our lives and not, you know, oh, whatever. You guys are looking at me like I'm, I'm beating you or something like that, but, but people will do that, and they wonder why they're not experiencing more. It's because they don't put themselves in a position to experience more. Test and trial come, movie night, you know, family night, it's not going to say, you're not going to lift you up. It's just not going to happen, guys. I'm sorry. This will. This will solve your marriage problems. Did you know that? This will solve your marriage problems. This will solve your financial problems, stuff like that. Well, we need time away. You know, we, we're just burnt out. Well, you're doing it wrong, baby. You're doing it wrong. How can you get burnt out with the life of God burning on the inside of you? I mean, my goodness gracious. Something's wrong. Your diet's wrong. Something's wrong. <clears throat> All right, I'll move on. All right. Then it goes on and says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. He doesn't give, you know, begrudgingly. He doesn't, you know, say, well, you haven't prayed enough and you haven't read your Bible enough and you haven't done this. And when you get to that point, then come and see me and I'll do that. No. He gives to you generously and liberally, and he doesn't make fun of the questions that you ask. 24-7, every day of the week and every day of the year, God's there with his wisdom. But you got to ask for it. Come on now. He says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask. Well, see, that's humility right there. Because it's kind of like a man not wanting to ask directions on a long trip. How many have ever done that? How many men have done that? The wife is saying, stop and get directions. Now, this is before GPS. This is before we were the GPS. We were the ones that knew how to get there. It may take us 100 more miles to get there, but we will get you there eventually. 
And one of the hardest things is to admit you're wrong and admit you need help. A lot of people in their prayer life, they don't want to admit they need help. It says, if any man lack wisdom, well, that means I have to, I have to come to the realization that I lack wisdom. Come on now. If I lack wisdom, then that says something about myself that either I'm okay with or I'm not okay with. See, it requires humility to tap into things of God. If you lack wisdom, ask of God. He gives liberally, and he does not abrade us. Amen? And uh, it says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So when I ask in faith, I need, to ask, I need to ask in faith when I ask for the wisdom of God. I need to actually believe I'm going to receive the wisdom of God. Amen? I have to humble myself and say that I need wisdom. I ask for that wisdom, but I ask in faith. How do I ask in faith? I'm not a double-minded man. My focus is not on 50 different things. It's focused on this. We're going to get this answer. God's going to speak to me. Amen? And then praise God he does it. He always answers. He always answers. Because every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Amen? So he always answers. So guess what? You just begin to thank God. I thank you that I have wisdom for this. I thank you that you're going to give me direction. I thank you that you're going to give me insight. I'm thankful that I have the mind of Christ. Those are things you need to start saying. Instead of saying, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I have no idea. I don't know what to do. Those are things that tap you in to the problem. Amen? Are you with me? Okay, so let's drop down to verse number 12. And this is the scripture I want us to really focus on. Because people will say, well, God put this on me to teach me something. Or God used this. I've, I've had people um, say, the death of my cousin caused me to call on the Lord and saved me. Nothing could be further from the truth. There's only one death that changed you and saved you. It's the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It ain't somebody that you love's death brought you closer to the Lord. Now, you may be in a position in which you're open because of the situation that you're in, but it's Jesus that saves you, not your circumstances. You see how religious we get and how our IQ drops when we start talking about these things? It's because, you know, it, it just, it's just silly. Well, you know, I got, I got this cancer, and it just caused me to draw closer to the Lord, which is not, which happens, but it saved my life. No, Jesus saved your life. You know, you know what, what, what's the number one enemy of understanding the goodness of God is your own goodness that you think you have because you think you're gooder than God. That's a Manford saying right there, gooder than God. In fact, you think that you're more merciful and gracious than God is at times. 
See, your own human goodness, you put it on the same level as God's goodness. And that's dangerous. That's dangerous. How many realize human love can change like that? Oh, they can be singing songs and writing you poetry and doing all that. And then, man, they just put one Instagram post and just calls down hellfire on you. Amen. Is that divine love? Is that the love of God? No, that's human love. Now, human love can feel good emotionally, but it can't sustain you. It doesn't have the life that the life of God has and the love of God has. Amen. So people will blame God and they will think that it's the circumstance that brought them to God when God has already taken care of your salvation 2,000 years ago, even before the foundation of the world, he's already made his decision. It's not your circumstances that cause you to make these, you know, draws you closer to God because there's people that have circumstances and they're nowhere near God. It draws them away from God. It's what are you doing with the word that you're given? What are you doing with the tools that he has given you? It puts it on you instead of putting it on God and saying, God, if it's not happening, it's because of you. No, listen, you've got a part to play. Amen. But notice it says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, he's not just talking about the crown of life you receive when you die. He's talking about when you go through the test and trial, the way that God wants you to go through. Now, you're going to have some flub ups. We're all going to have flub ups. But when you're true to what God has said and you've done it to the best of your ability by faith, Praise God, you overcome and a crown is given to you. And this crown gives you the ability to face other tests and other challenges and also help others with their challenges as well. Because you, you can say, man, I know God will get you through this because he got me through. Amen? Are you awake out there? Okay, here's the verse we're going to look at right here, and we're going to stop after this. Let no one say, let no one but your preacher, let no one but mama, let no one but daddy, let no one but your wise old grandpa that you go for advice all the time. It says, let no one say. Let no one say. You look it up in the Greek, no one means what? No one. one. Not any person can say this. When he is tempted. Now, the word tempted there is a very interesting word. It means pressure. It means trial. It means test. But then it also means squished or dashed beyond repair. Squished are dashed beyond repair. Now that's the ultimate goal of the enemy is to squish you and to dash you beyond repair. That's why he brings tests and trial in your life. The testings of the Lord, the Lord does test. The Bible teaches that. But he tests you with things that he gives you. 
He doesn't test you with things that you don't have. He tests you with what he gives you. So when it comes to something like, uh, you know, God has blessed you with, God has given you, he'll test you with that in the sense that, um, you know, you'll learn that those things are not what we need to put our focus on, but that we need to focus on the giver and not the gift. Do you see what I'm saying? It's very different than being squashed, very different than being dashed into pieces. Basically, if I took this in the original language, I'd say, don't let anyone say that when I'm being squished and when I'm being broken into pieces, I am being broken into pieces and squished by God. Let that sink in. Because there are people that will say that. Oh, God's putting me, taking me through this. God is doing this. God is causing this to happen because he knows. And I've had all kinds of weird stuff. People explaining the deaths of loved ones with weird stuff like this. It's not even true. God is not the author of death. He is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. He says it over and over and over again. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life, not death. Now, praise God, when he raised from the dead, he got the keys of death and hell. But he is not the author of death. And so if I'm being squished, if I'm being broken beyond repair, it's not God. Oh, my goodness, you should shout praises unto God. It's not God. Because he says, don't let any man say that. That when he is tempted, when he is being crushed, when he is being broken by test and trial, that it is from God. He says, don't let him say that. Because uh, for God cannot be tempted with evil. You know, uh, Jesus said this in the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. He says, a good tree brings forth good fruit, and an evil tree brings forth evil fruit. We have graduated to a level of lunacy that we believe that God both bears good and evil fruit. When that is not the case in the natural, his creation, that's not the case in any kind of psychological thinking and reasonable thinking, and it's certainly not the case in the spirit. There is a good and there is a bad, and God has declared himself good. So either you believe it or you don't believe it. Hello? A good tree brings forth good fruit. Do you believe that God's a good tree? Do you believe he brings forth good fruit? How about the devil? Is he a good tree? No, he's an evil tree. He brings forth evil fruit. Amen? I know this is simple, but my goodness, sometimes our theology gets off. And we can begin to associate what the enemy is doing in our life with God. He says very clearly, don't say it. Don't say it. 
There's been times I have been crushed. There's been times that I have been broken. There's times when I cried and despaired for my life. And there are times in my mind and in my soul, those words, God is not there. God doesn't care about your situation. God is causing this to happen and thinking up all kinds of convoluted ways in which God is working irrespective of his word. And my human pride making those scripture rather than his word. There's been times that I've went through stuff and I'll, I'll get some understanding as to what I'm going through. Because we all want explanation, don't we? We all want explanation. Why am I going through this? First off, we want to know for our own self, but then we also want to know how can I stay the heck away from this? <laughs> you know, I mean, how can I keep this from happening again? And many times in my walk with the Lord, there's no answer to that question. Not the way I want it. You know, I want God to coddle me and, you know, and, and, you know, rock me like a little baby and, you know, and, and tell me, you know, everything that's going on. When, but God always takes me back to Psalm 118.1 For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Well, that doesn't answer my question. That doesn't answer my question. I'm trying to, to get an answer to this dilemma that I'm going through. I would really like you to just explain it. Have a course. Take all you want. Explain this. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Who his own self bore my sins in his body on the tree. That I being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes I was healed. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying here? We want God to talk with us like that. When he's already given us his word. Now I'm not talking about, you know, intimacy with the Lord. And there's been things that he's told me. But, you know, in this situation, I had to come to the realization, either I believe the word or not. Come on. Come on. I don't need him to add to this. And you don't need him to add to this to make you feel better, to make you feel better about your situation. You need to realize that God is not the author of the problem in your life. And many times it is not the devil. It's you. If you'll learn to take personal responsibility for your life and for your choices, you'll live a lot happier life. And things won't confuse you. Boy, that went over good. Everybody likes that, personal responsibility. Listen, you reap what you sow. <laughs> it's just, if you sow to the flesh, what does Galatians say? Galatians chapter 6. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap life eternal. That's in, that's in your court, people. That's not God's court. God's giving you the seed. God's giving you the ability to spread it. 
But there's also other seed that you can spread. Amen? So stop blaming God for what you planted. Oh, come on now. For what you planted in your garden. Don't say when you're squished, when you're pressed. And I've said it. God, what's going on? Are you even there? Do you even love me? How many have ever said those things? Just look straight ahead. No one will know. Do you even love me? Because if you love me, I wouldn't be going through this. Well, first off, what you're going through isn't initiated by God. So you're making it seem like he initiated this. Are you getting a hold of this? You're insinuating that God's the author of what you're going through. That is dangerous theology. It doesn't match the biblical text. So how can you find an answer? How can you believe in a God that you don't know what he's thinking half the time? Because if he's initiating bad fruit in my life, and, and, and then sometimes he initiates good fruit. How can I believe for either? How, how can I believe for good fruit? Are you getting a hold of this? Yeah. I can't. He is completely and absolutely good. That's where my faith is at. That's where my faith can be found. And that's where my overcoming can be found. Is that he's good irregardless of what's going on in my life. He's good regardless of whether my blood pressure is perfect or not. He's good regardless of whether my marriage is strong. He is good regardless of the diagnosis that's in my life. He is good. And when I know that, I have something to hold on to. I've got a foundation to stand on. But if I play around with this stuff, hello? then I don't have it, and I'm going to end up losing. I remember when I was sick, I said, you know what, if I die, we're going to have a talk. I told him that. I said, we're going to have a talk. How this, you know, lack of honor. Like, you know, God's expended all of heaven on your behalf. And for some reason, you can't grasp it. You can't grasp it to get a hold of it. It's not with him. It was with me. I had no right to call. I'm, I'm, the minute I leave this body and I go be with Jesus, I'm not going to want to have a talk with him. I'm, a, I'm not going to want to try to chew him out for not doing, you know, that's just not going to be what happens because I'll see everything. So what do I need to pray for in the time of trial? Wisdom. Because wisdom gives me perception. It causes me to see things that I can't see in the natural. And my circumstances are blinding me. 
They're blinding me to the reality that God is actively involved and wants me well, wants my marriage healed, wants me to overcome, so much so that he paid the price 2,000 years ago. So the problem I had a lot of times is I wasn't convinced that the gift of Jesus was enough. But once you get a hold of that, once you get a hold of that, once you get a hold of the fact that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is everything you need, the devil knows you're gone. He can't put it on you anymore. Come on now. When you realize that it's a perfect sacrifice, Perfect in every aspect, perfect in every respect. It's complete, it's done. What I was doing when I was whining, I was trying to get God to do something irrespective of His Word to get what I wanted. And the only reason why you do that, and the only reason why I do that, is because I'm not convinced of Psalm 1181. Now, that's a lot to chew on right there. But it's the truth. Let's stop making excuses. And let's say, you know what? I'm not there yet. I'm getting more light. I'm pursuing God in that area. I'm going to know him more because I'm convinced he's good and his mercy endures forever. And even though my circumstances may not necessarily line up with that in my personal life, I am not going to make excuses and say that God is withholding from me, that God is, is, has basically denied my request. I'm going to pursue him even more. I'm going to pursue him, and I know that it's got to be what I'm seeing. It can't be on his end. And listen, I've had prayer times in which I've thrown that up to him and been sarcastic with the Lord. I say, you're always right. But guess what? What a freeing revelation. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's actually freedom to have someone that's always right. Amen? Some of you married folk know what I'm talking about. It's, it's... Hello? But when you've got someone who's always right, always good, always pure, always holy, always, that's the only way I can, I can believe in the overcoming power of God. That's the only way I can access. If he is completely, absolutely, thoroughly good. And when I know that, praise God, I'm holding on to something secure because my world is anything but good. But if I can hold on to him, praise the Lord. Amen? Are you getting something out of this? We okay? You look like I gave you a shot or something. We'll give suckers at the end, at the back there. But it's the truth, guys. We've got to stop playing games. You've got to stop playing games. God's not withholding from you. God's hands are open. He proved it with Jesus. 
Amen? Hello? Well, it's not his timing. I've heard this. It's not his timing. When it comes to the, the redemptive work of Jesus, the timing is always now. Now, I understand ministries. I understand business things. I understand stuff. There is a timetable. But when it comes to your salvation, your healing, your deliverance, it's now. There's no waiting. You don't need to wait. You can have it now. Amen? So as I segue into the end, we will have people that will help you get the now in your now. Get God's now in your now. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. I'm excited. We've got food truck Sunday. Amen? And uh, it's uh, what you buy there, will, a portion of that will go to missions. So be sure to get you some good uh, tacos and also some Mexi dogs. Those are very good. Amen? Hallelujah. Next week... We're celebrating our 15-year anniversary. Amen? Now, the reason why I'm sharing this and I'm sharing it is because I want you to know that we're going to be celebrating from 9 o'clock to noon, and it's going to be one big get-together. So 9 o'clock, we're going to be blessed by the ministry of Shekinah Glory. They're going to be here, and they're going to be doing some wonderful Ministry, it's going to be a powerful time, nine o'clock. So I encourage all of you, if you want to experience that, come at nine. At the 11 o'clock, when we, when we uh, get done at 1030 or whatever, we're going to have a party. Yeah. We're going to party like it's 2099. <laughs> so we're going to have hamburgers. We're going to have stuff to eat. We're going to have all kinds of Time for fellowship during that time. And then at 6.30, Sunday night, Shekinah Glory will be back here and we'll be having a believers meeting. How many know what a believers meeting is? We'll have a Holy Ghost blowout with Shekinah Glory at 6.30. So bring your friends, bring family members, bring people. This is going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. These people move in the power of the Spirit. And there'll be a great, great blessing to you and great blessing to anyone that you've been inviting to church. So I encourage you to do that. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then tonight, disclosure, 6 o'clock, we're going to be finishing up our Abaddon, Apollo, Shiva, and the Great Global Reset, 6 o'clock. So we've got some good information about the current events that are going on in our world from a biblical perspective and we just have a discussion in which we discuss these things. We had a wonderful time last time, but it got cut short because I had to leave for the hospital. But uh, we're going to finish it up tonight. Amen? So I encourage you to be there 6 o'clock tonight. Amen? Jesse?